how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Welcome to Creator Support, the show where your camera is held up with a tripod, your career is held up by us. Did you just come up with that? I just came up with that. Wow, that was pretty good. Thanks. We're like a tripod for your career. As a creator. Okay. (laughs) Okay. On this episode, we are going to talk about why we joined the LinkedIn Podcast Network, if creators should have standardized fees, as well as if an employee of a creator should be able to post their own YouTube videos. Pretty excited about this episode. So if you're just tuning in for the first time, I'm Colin. And I'm Samir. We've been creating primarily on YouTube together for the last 10 years. And on this show, we actually answer your questions Mm -hmm. about being a creator that are given to us in a variety of places, whether that's our newsletter, the published press, or on our Reddit, r slash Colin and Samir. And we're going to start the show with going over some news that matters to you. All right, here we go. First question, as well as first headline, is Colin and Samir joined the LinkedIn Podcast Network. I'm sure you're wondering, who are those guys? Yeah, right. (laughs) So that was something that was announced this week. We're actually on on the front page of TubeFilter. Yeah, exciting. But there's a lot of questions from our audience around this announcement. There was a question on Twitter that just said, did LinkedIn buy you guys? Um, There's a question from Layton on Reddit that says, Samir has been praising LinkedIn for a while now, but it seems a bit out of the way for a creator to embrace LinkedIn. Their audiences are hanging out on YouTube and TikTok. So it'll be interesting to hear what Colin and Samir have to say about the advantages of the platform. First off, why don't we just talk about what it means to join a podcast network? So for me, I first came to understand this when we spoke with Marquez Brownlee, MKBHD, Mm -hmm. about his podcast, Waveform, joining the Vox Media Network. And what that means is that Vox will sell the ads that play during his podcast. And that's what it means for us here with LinkedIn. That's the simplest form of it. There's a lot of opportunities when you're a part of a podcast network that you can cross promo with those podcasts, right? There's an incentive for LinkedIn to have all of our podcasts grow because they are actually selling the advertising that you are all going to hear in and around this show. So, you know, that's really supportive for us. We get to have investment into our podcast, both through, you know, advertising dollars that LinkedIn is going to help us secure. And we're also going to have an investment in the podcast in terms of growth. LinkedIn wants our podcast to grow. And the reason that we felt like LinkedIn was the right partner, and that's one of the questions we also Mm -hmm. got on Reddit was why LinkedIn is because we feel like there's a lot of brand alignment. We -hmm. talk about the business of creators. We're here to help creators build their careers. And that's tangibly actually what is happening on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of creators who are finding brands or finding Mm -hmm. employees. And I think even people who aren't yet on LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn, when it first emerged, my memory of it uh, was like, oh, this is the modern place to put your resume, to get discovered, to get hired. That's how we viewed LinkedIn. I think this next crop of young creators doesn't really have that pool of how do I find a job with a creator or in a creative field or also for creators, how do I hire? So I think LinkedIn 
is this space where people can find each other in a professional sense. And the thing that I've noticed is that it's a really great platform for cold outreach. Like you can find out who the head of creator partnerships is at a certain company. You can find out who edits a show at a media company like Vox or Complex, right? Who has hot ones. Like Mm -hmm. these people are listed on LinkedIn. Right. So if you're a creator and you're trying to hire, you can literally search like, hey, who's the producer of Vox's Explained? And we keep saying Vox because this is something I have done. I've looked at all the editors at Vox. Uh, and and connected with a few of them and been like, I want to hear about what you do. I want to hear about how this works. I've also connected with CMOs that has then led us to brand partnerships on LinkedIn. And it's a lot easier to connect because that is the context of that platform. It's also a platform that has its own creator culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to a creator myself. You know, you're you're a huge I don't think I'm gonna continue <laughs> talking about my posting on LinkedIn after the Reddit just really slammed me. Uh, <laughs> you can only meme. praise your own LinkedIn posts so much. Yeah. So I but think they are good, Samir. I agree that they're good. And, oh, wow. and they are getting a lot of viewership. Yeah. yeah a yeah. lot of likes and shares. Yeah, again, I, I'm not going to get too far into this. But man, you know what? But the great thing about LinkedIn and being a creator on LinkedIn is that if you want to talk about business, exactly, it's a very safe space to do that, right? So, like we always talk about audience definition. You have to know your audience, but that doesn't, always applied to a platform. There are all types mm-hmm. of audiences on YouTube, right? But when you're on LinkedIn and you're posting content, you know pretty much who you're speaking to, like business-minded people. So it makes it easier to know what to post and what they're going to like. That's a great point. I think that's also why Mr. Beast is on LinkedIn as Jimmy Donaldson, not as Mr. Beast. It's like a different side of him. And he gets to talk about strategy and he gets to connect with people. And he was, he, he I was on the phone with him uh, over the weekend and he was telling me that all of his successful hiring right now is happening through LinkedIn. And that's a huge reason why he's on the platform because he can then be a more legitimate media figure and people who work in media can then be like, wait, this guy's like a legit entertainment executive. Maybe I do want to go work for him. He's not just a YouTuber. Yeah. He takes this business seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And that all of this that we're saying, professionalizing this career, building media companies, that's a lot of what our show stands for. So being aligned with the brand is great. And then again, you know, just, as a, as a macro view of this, we are running a business and LinkedIn is helping us sell to relevant brand partners. You are going to be hearing advertising in the show now, which is the first time we've monetized this show. And our goal is to bring in new audience and to have that new audience come in and be able to engage, ask questions, learn about the creator economy. And that, again, just that whole thing kind of is the point of what we're doing is to grow the creator economy. On the topic of LinkedIn, yeah. I'd like to bring up my first gripe of the episode. Yeah. This is a gripe that is, I'm pulling from 10 years ago. Yeah. And I had a blind date. I've just moved to LA. Mm-hmm. And I told Samir the name of the person that I was going on the date with. Mm-hmm. You looked her up on LinkedIn. That's exactly right. And if you look someone up on LinkedIn, they know it. It notifies They're them. They're notified. Yeah. So we're at the first date. She was like, what do you do? As I work with this guy, Samir. And she said, Samir what? I said, Samir Chaudhry? Uh-huh. And she goes, he just looked at my LinkedIn profile today. <laughs> and then I had to try and explain that. Yeah, that was a yeah. tough, that was a tough that deal. That was a tough one, yeah. That was a tough one. Um, that's a tough thing to, to try and explain. Um, although you guys ended up dating, so. <laughs> For a short amount yeah, of time. so yeah. let's like, get, let's set the record straight. <laughs> Everything worked out. Um, but. But yeah, it, I don't even know how I responded. I think I just had to admit it that, oh yeah, that's, 
Yeah, he looked at your profile today at work. So, so see that this is this is that's a gripe I have with the platform as a whole because <laughs> okay. it's like so listen we, we're both appreciative of the partnership yeah excited to announce it yes but now that we have announced it you know what we've got one gripe yeah you can't always be good you know it can't <laughs> all be good you know our our gripe uh, I think is fair like let me do my snooping without everyone knowing about <laughs> it <laughs> yeah not on LinkedIn <laughs> I mean even like someone we used to work with Jeff Nathanson. Uh, on LinkedIn, he just posted a screenshot that said like Smear Jodry's looking at your profile. And he's like, Smear, what are you looking at my profile for? And I'm like, gotcha. I'm just checking in to see what you're up to, man. Like, <laughs> well, you got to be careful with that. Man. I know you got to be careful on LinkedIn. Right? So people see your activity. They know what you're doing. And, and to finish that story. Yeah. Disclaimer, you can make, ooh, what? <laughs> <laughs> just to end that conversation. Yes. Disclaimer, you can Make it private. Yes, you can you make can. your activity you private on LinkedIn. I don't want to though. I want people to know. You're living a dangerous life. Yeah. If I'm if I'm looking you up, like hit me up, I guess. You know, I don't know. Actually, never mind. Maybe I'll make it private. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Overall, what you can expect is you're gonna hear some branding from LinkedIn. You're also gonna hear some advertising, and it's gonna be a process. We're all gonna learn together, but we do have a Reddit community uh, where you can give us feedback on the show. You can also comment and reach out to us on LinkedIn. You know, when we post one of these episodes, we're also going to be posting content there and you can actually engage with us and give us feedback on what you think about the show, how it's growing. So let us know. All right. Our next question comes to us from across the pond, Hmm. the UK from Kenzo. Kenzo says, in the UK, we currently have the parliament looking into the fairness of influencer fees and how influencers with, let's say, less than 100,000 on Instagram get paid drastically different fees. Do you think there should be a specific metric to assess how much creators should get paid. I don't think so. I think this is all fair competition. I think that there's too much nuance in how a creator builds their business or presents themselves or sells themselves to standardize it. I just don't think you can. Yeah. I I think something that we say often is that not all views are created equal. So that would mean that, you know, if let's say you and I both have separately a hundred thousand Instagram followers I talk about pretzels and you talk about living a vegan lifestyle. If a company comes that wants to advertise a vegan product, mm. you should get a higher rate than I should. Right. Because pretzels I'm, are vegan. Okay. I should have said, you know, I'm talking about chicken tenders, chicken tenders. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So if a company comes that wants to sell vegan nuggets, they should really be advertising with you and they should pay a higher fee than for me because my audience is not a direct hit for them. Right. So like it's, it's apples to oranges when you have followers like that. That said, I do think similar to what Michelle Carey said on our show, there might be a world where there is a union in this space where it's not necessarily like the creators and their advertisers, but if you're going to hire someone, there are standardized fees. Like if you're going to hire a filmer for a day to work on a YouTube set, you know, or to work on your show, there might be fees that are standardized. That might happen. You know, like my father-in-law is, uh, or was, he's now retired, but he was a camera operator. So he's part of a guild in in Hollywood, a part of a union where they have certain requirements. If you're going to hire him, it has to follow a certain fee standard. You have to be giving them breaks at a certain time. You have to be providing food. There's all kinds of things that you have to provide to make sure that you're up to standard. That might happen in our industry as a whole, maybe, but that hasn't really happened. We we're, we look and feel more like the media industry than we do the um, television industry. So the media industry, meaning like you know, digital publishers or magazines. And 
I think there's standards in that industry, but there aren't like requirements or regulations. I do think though brands should treat creators fairly, especially when it comes to, you know, if they're running a campaign and the agency is really trying to undercut and like lowball someone. I do think that pay transparency is important, especially amongst creators that like, if you're taking part in the same campaign and you have comparable yeah, audiences, like agreed. it's a, it's disappointing when it happens and it does happen <laughs> that creators will get to an event and they'll share the rates that they got. And it turns out that one creator got drastically less. How do you do that though? I guess like, oh, you're saying the brand standardizes the fees. I think, I don't know if the brand should standardize it, but I think like you would urge the brand to be fair and compensate creators fairly. And like, fair is so subjective though. Yeah. You know, like it's, that's, that's tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't And know. also like as creators, we need to be good about negotiating. And, you know, I, I do believe that if you say yes to something, you are declaring that's what you're worth. Like yes. if you agree to the contract. Agreed. Then- that's what you're worth. Yeah. You know, if you're not happy with it, you don't need to do it again and you can move on. But you're the one who, it's a two-way street. They give you a rate, they give you a contract and you agree to it. Agreed. So, that that so I agree with. It's, I, maybe it's more so about uh, urging creators to find people to fight for them if they don't want to do the fighting for the rate. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about negotiation as a creator and how that would make a really interesting course. Like if you were able to kind of play out a brand partnership conversation play out a manager conversation, play out an agent conversation, like play out these conversations. What is negotiable in these conversations? What should you ask for? How do you even ask that question? I've really been thinking about this as a course, and I think it would be really powerful. That also then goes into like live Zoom negotiations. I would love to play the role of agent brand manager. And you, you can, can negotiate. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Like right now? Not right now. Okay. But maybe we should do both. If we had a course yeah. where I had to negotiate and you were mm -hmm. the brand manager, yeah, I just think that'd be very difficult for me. I'd much rather play the role of sure. the brand. But it'd be really fun. But it'd be fun, and mm -hmm. it's something that I should learn. Regulation in our industry is challenging right now. And one thing that we covered in the published press, which is our newsletter, if you're unfamiliar with it, sign up, thepublishedpress.com. But it's something that we covered that's happening in Canada. And it's called the Online Streaming Act or Bill C-11. This is the best way to understand this. So imagine you open up YouTube and you see a curated list of videos that are actually chosen by the Canadian government. That is what the bill is suggesting. Removing pretty much the algorithm. Essentially removing the algorithm and saying the Canadian government is going to present the content. And that would actually be the Canadian Radio and Telecommunications Commission. And they'd have the ability to determine how the content is presented to Canadians. And their focus, like the reason they want this is to promote Canadian content creators. But it just feels so anti-YouTube. I thought part of it though was also to protect mm -hmm. traditional television and broadcast networks. That's right, yeah. Which is, I think, also, I guess what I meant by, like, not not necessarily like Canadian creators, but, sorry, Canadian, like, media companies. Exactly, yeah. yeah Canadian media companies. Um, and now, to, to be more specific, the Canadian independent content creators have a big issue with this because this would really affect how their businesses work. Like, they would have to create content that is up to standard with the CRTC, which is the Canadian Radio and Telecommunications Commission. Like they're essentially creating for the CRTC. 
because the CRTC, if they're on their good side, they're like, great. Yeah. Chris Howe, who's a Canadian content creator. We like him. He's, he's good. Let's put him up there. Another creator, it's no longer like this kind of democratic or algorithmic thing. It's more like a single group is making those decisions. And a lot of creators have spoken out about this and against it. And I think the biggest challenge is this could set some level of precedent in other parts of the world. I just think regulation and and whatnot, it might be more of a reality than we think in the future, probably not to this scale, hopefully, but I wonder what a more regulated social media landscape looks like, a more standardized, regulated, you know, where there's a board that actually, it's not the algorithm, it's not the audience, it's actually someone who dictates. The tough thing about it, whether it's standardizing fees across creators or, you know, what's happening, what may happen in Canada is that not all creators are the same. And in fact, they're drastically different. It's not like, you know, a traditional Hollywood film or a traditional television show they're probably a lot more similar to the show next to them than creators would be, right? If right. you put like five creators next to each other and then like looped five television shows together. The television shows, the way that they operate, right. the way that they monetize is very similar. With creators, it can be drastically different. True. So it's tough to have any type of legislation that treats us the same. So if you want to read more about it, uh, you can check it out in the published press. Uh, I know there was a question in here about how to get uh, some of our, our archive of our emails. And this actually comes from Emma. She said, hi guys, have you considered making your past emails available somewhere to read? When I sign up, I cannot access emails that were written in the past, uh, which is upsetting because there is value and effort, uh, already made into those repurposing content is always a good strategy too. Thanks Emma. So actually, if you go to news.thepublishpress.com, uh, you will have an archive. So check it out. It's there. You can check out all the old content. All right. Now the next question comes from our Reddit and this is from an employee of a creator. And it's a very long question and we could probably summarize some of it. Um, but let's read a bit. Hey, Colin, it's Mir. In January, I made a huge change and got a full-time job working for a creator. Took a big pay cut, but otherwise this is a dream situation. I'm working remote. There's an exciting team to be on, et cetera. My goal is to be a full-time creator, and when I saw this job, I thought of it as a step in the right direction. A few months in, I was basically told that I'm not allowed to upload my own to my own YouTube channel while I'm an employee. Obviously, not uploading would be a massive roadblock to growth. For the time being, I need to comply with my income, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Is this typical for a creator business? If so, how are emerging creators supposed to learn and develop if they can't work for other creators? Do you or would you allow your employees to have their own YouTube channels? Appreciate you guys. It's a really interesting question. And I think there's a lot of different schools of thought here. Yeah, and I don't know if, if either side is really wrong. Yes. I think it's just about what type of business and environment the creator wants to have. Because I do think there's a lot of value in keeping your employees focused on your channel and keeping their energy focused there. And I think there's a lot of value for employees to go all in on one project and learn and then potentially be ready. And I think also it can get, there are intricacies to what type of channel you're starting as an employee. If you're starting a channel that, you know, you really want to highlight the creator in, you want to highlight the environment you're working in at the creator company. That's something where I could understand a creator is like, I don't necessarily want, you to be posting about what's happening here because 
what I do is like, I control the image that we put out into the world. And as a team, we're working on that mm -hmm. and it changes the narrative. Agreed. Right? Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I think there's also this other layer in, in a creative workplace, which is very new when it comes to YouTube and social media. And that's that when you go work at a creative company, you sign a work made for hire agreement, um, which suggests that your inventions, the things that you create, um, are property of the, the business. Um, now, of course, there's probably modifications to that now that you have your personal Instagram and personal places that you publish content. Like that's not, whatever creative you put out there is not property of the business, but um, the lines do get a little bit blurry of like company time, uh, company resources, and using those towards your own you know profit, your own gain. I think how you should think about this as a creator is when you go work for a creator, be all in on working for that creator and learn and then step out. For example, Colin and I did not start the Colin and Samir channel while we were at our job, which was making YouTube videos. We actually left the company and then started the Colin and Samir channel. Now that also has its pitfalls because we had a really, we struggled a lot to, to uh, make that monetizable for us. And something that, that this Reddit thread says is, uh, one of the the notes is that keeping his current income is non-negotiable. He has a wife and a, and a mortgage and his YouTube channel isn't monetized yet. So there's precedent for that though, of like what we did and what Johnny Harris did when he yeah. left Fox and Cleo Abrams and, and all of the creators who came out of the Buzzfeed organization. Totally. Michelle, Michelle Carre. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, that happens all of the time. Like you're, you're essentially learning while you're at this media company and then you step out and do your thing independently. And maybe you can't post on YouTube right now, but, can you make YouTube videos? Like, yeah, you might be able to batch YouTube videos. You might be able to feel like you're getting better at storytelling. But I think also like giving yourself the time to go all in working for this creator and being on that mission is, is important. I also think, you know, for this specific example, it's about what's really important to you. And if, you know, what may be happening is that you had an expectation that you could going in, but now you can't. Mm -hmm. So really the root of the problem is asking at the beginning. Yes. Is that something I can do? And, you know, probably right. something that as creators, we can acknowledge that that's something that some of the employees will want to do, mm -hmm. you know, so getting in front of it rather than dealing with it. I do think that's something from a creator perspective. And when you look at like the workforce that you're going to bring on, I do think it's a challenge to start to think about, you know, you do want to hire people who also don't want to become creators. You want to hire people who just want to be there to do the job and to grow within your organization. Who want to be creatives yeah, for a period of time, who are happy to like and like doing the work of, of making it. Yeah. yeah, that's a really important part of the workforce. So I'd also say like, if you are a creative, just know how valuable you are to this group of people, to to YouTube creators and, and um, creators in general, because we need more creatives. I would love to be able to support all of our, all of our team members to become their own creators if they want, but it just wouldn't be something that we could support right now. We need a lot of help on making our show, we need a lot of help on making our thing. And I'm encouraging of people expressing themselves and doing, you know, their, their own versions of being a creator, but it would be really challenging right now if we had someone in our office who was regularly uploading to YouTube. As long as it didn't impact their work, really. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also other ways to go about it. Like, you could make TikToks, you can make Instagram reels, you can right. do some lower lift things, yeah. or maybe the YouTube videos are lower lift. Mm -hmm. It's really just about it impacting the work. And if it's leveraging the creator yeah. to grow the platform, I think is when it becomes an issue. But 
I do think, you know, specifically from spending time with Shopify employees, it was really cool to see that they are all encouraged to start their own companies and have their own Shopify stores. Mm-hmm. That I think is so interesting. Super that that's, cool. that's core to being at that company. It's similar to, you know, GoPro, I think makes you go into the, like take an adventure yeah, yeah, and yeah, use yeah. the GoPro, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I do think there's something really cool about making sure your employees have the time to experience what you're experiencing and like live the ethos of, of sort of the company. Yeah, that I agree with. Uh, I, I always thought it was really funny that when someone started working at YouTube, like part of their onboarding should probably be that they have to make one YouTube video, just one. And they could get help. They could get support. It could be 90 seconds. It could be really short, but you should have that feeling of having to make something and publish it. Whoever you are at YouTube, like posting yeah. a YouTube video, I think should be a part of your onboarding. So you have that empathy, that experience. So I agree. I think the Shopify example is great. Like their ethos is entrepreneurship and they're pushing their employees to be entrepreneurs. Tyga is an interesting example at yeah. our company because yeah. he's the only one on famous birthdays. Tyga's on famous birthdays. Yeah. He gets recognized uh, on Twitter and in the yeah. comments sometimes when he's in our videos, people say, isn't that Tyga tech? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Tyga had a tech channel and he, Tyga's expressed to us that he definitely wants to go back into yeah. having a creator career at some point. I would point. be really pumped if like Tyga was putting out tech videos. You know, like I, I would be really supportive of that and, and really pumped about it. I, I, again, like if it didn't impact his, the work that he's doing with us, like I think that's just, you have to see the project that you've been brought in by us to do has to get done. Yeah. No, no, there's no, that's non-negotiable. What you do beyond that, so long as it doesn't impact that, our brand image, any of our, you know, partnerships or opportunities, then yeah, you know, be a tech creator. All right. Last question. This comes from the Reddit. This is from Sir Yacht. Ads on YouTube videos. What is the general rule of thumb for how many ads per minute for a YouTube video? For example, if a video is 25 minutes long and has ads at the beginning and end, is two in the middle a good amount? Wondering as I don't want to overbear the viewer with ads, but also, you know, understand the importance of strategically placing mid-roll ads. Thanks. That was a dramatic pause that I had, but that's because it was on a separate line. Okay. But basically, he's. It, it's an interesting question because I just wonder if the culture of YouTube and viewing on YouTube is such that there's ads. For me personally, ads don't make me click off a video. Yeah. The video makes me click off the video. The, oh, wow. You know yeah. what I mean? No, that, I don't know if that's like, you know. The, that's good. <laughs> was that too harsh? No, um, I just, I don't know. I just envisioned like, some of our videos and someone saying that and being like, Ooh, that got me. I should have said that on exposure. We didn't even talk about that as a headline. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Colin was like Simon Cowell on this show exposure. Yeah, We were know. on a reality show. It's on Lele Pond's YouTube channel. Colin and I are the guest judges on this show exposure. And I was, yeah, you were harsh. I, I was, I came off harsher than I wanted to. Yeah. You got a harsh edit. <laughs> yeah. you, you were like yeah. Gordon Ramsay. And that's a line I should have said. Though. Yeah. <laughs> the ad doesn't make me click off the video. The video makes me click off the video. The thing that bothers me, and now I'm going to get into a gripe and then I have another gripe, is the vibe on YouTube where it's like mid-roll followed by a mid-roll or pre-roll followed by a pre-roll. Like when they started doing that, two ads. Oh, yeah. And then the content and then two ads and then the content. It's great for us as creators because it's double the revenue. But as a viewer, it's not a great experience. Skip ad, then skip ad. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm also wondering how many people who are listening have YouTube premium. That's been a really interesting thing that I've, I've started to explore is like how many people are 
are buying YouTube premium uh, and watching without ads. Like I'm fascinated by that. Do you see when Elon Musk tweeted about YouTube ads and yeah. said they're all scammy? Yeah. And someone commented below and just said, can't you afford YouTube <laughs> premium? Yeah, even Elon Musk doesn't have YouTube premium. Yeah. Okay, can I give you my final gripe of the episode? Yeah, but I want to say something that you doubling up on gripes is a gripe of mine. Okay. So carry right. on. Okay. This is a gripe. So when I'm watching a show with my wife, Katie, and she gets up to go in the other room and I go, do you want me to pause it? And she goes, no, it's all right. Mm. What do you mean you don't want me to pause it? <laughs> We're in the middle of a show. Yeah. What kind of maniac doesn't want to know what happens next? But that, why are we watching the show? Yeah. If you don't want me to pause it. You have to admit though, there are probably shows where you don't care if it pauses or not. You have to admit. Sometimes. sometimes. But then it's like- it goes both What's ways. going on? It goes it, both okay, ways. so if it is laundry TV. Now, laundry TV is TV that you can have on while you do the laundry because it doesn't matter. It's laundry TV, no problem. But like- Can I ask what was the show? Is there a specific show? So there's been a couple. So this has happened multiple times. It's happened multiple times. It just happened with Barry. You watching Barry with Bill Hader? Uh, I watched the first season. You didn't like it? I walked out of the room. You walked out. This is- I, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't care if it kept going. No, I, I liked it, but- we didn't really. I'm watching it. Stranger Things right now. Is that any good? Yeah. I couldn't get through the third season of that. Yeah. It, was, it was too much of the same. Anyhow, it was Barry, but yeah, I guess you're right. If it deems a walkout, it deems a walkout. But I just like, like, let's pause the episode. You go into the other room and then come back. You feel hurt that she doesn't like the show the same way that you do. That's probably what it is. What that it is. that was too deep um, I mean, of that, like that we we can't like share the same experience and I have an issue with that. That's like too much for this episode. Of not exactly support. what the gripe is about. Yeah, <laughs> it is, but it's more just about like pausing. Okay, the I'm show. sorry, gripes yeah. weren't meant to go that far. All right. Um, well, can I triple up on gripes? <laughs> I'd rather you not, but let's do it. Okay, my third and actual final gripe of the episode: cryptocurrency. Just as a whole. Yeah, they got what? us, man. They got us, they man. Got us. We got got by crypto. Yeah. I feel duped. And do you know, the amount of my friends who were like, hey, man, you seem to be doing pretty well in crypto. You should cash out now. And I would look at them and be like, you think this is well? Wow. None of my friends say that. I don't have any crypto friends. Mm. I don't have any crypto friends. I just have friends who like are amazed by some of the ways that, you know, in this modern internet world that people make money. Yeah. And they couldn't understand because our NFT sale was public. <laughs> I think the worst thing, the gripe of all gripes is that we were gifted NFTs yeah. that were actually valuable at one time. At one point. Yeah. And we looked at the amounts and we were like, these things are going to the moon. Yeah. We, I mean, we're we not say, selling these. We can say we both got offers for $20,000 <laughs> on like, these NFTs. Who are we yeah, to, to turn, turn that down. down? Yeah. What a nut. That's what I'm saying. We got got. That like, was we totally got, insane. We got got. Like those were, but they were valuable at that time because the market had deemed them valuable. Today, it's such a lesson in, in storytelling and market sentiment. Like, Luckily, uh, neither of us put enough money into any of it no, to have no. it be it's actually, just, it, like we're laughing about it because yeah, yeah, yeah. we put it's in a small It's just lost amount. opportunity. It's not actually lost money, yeah. which is helpful. For us. Yeah, but it's a bummer that we didn't just cash out when we could have cashed out. You got any more gripes? I think that was the last one. All right. All right. Feel free to snoop us on LinkedIn and we will definitely see. Thanks for listening to this episode and we'll see you back here next week. Right.